0: Welcome to Disruption Dialogues podcast season two. Listen to the influential leaders and trailblazers from around the world as they share invaluable insights to navigating the fifth industrial revolution. Hello and welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogues season two. I am Yamini Jain, Vice President Healthcare at Markets and Markets, and I will be in conversation with Jeffrey Whitford, Vice President Sustainability and Social Business Innovation at Millipore Sigma. Jeffrey with 18 years, at Millipore Sigma has mastered communication, marketing, and CSR for transformational results. Specializing in green chemistry, he's driven by innovation leadership. Thank you, Jeffrey, for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, it's great to be here.
0: Today we talk about driving sustainability within supply chain. Very, very interesting topic, Jeffrey, that we have our conversation on today. So, you know, my first question on this is, um, how are you, taking or driving sustainability principles throughout your supply chain you know the supply chain at millipore
1: yeah so I think one of the things that we're looking at you mean is how do we take the experiences that we've had to transform how we do business and then say what are those things that we then need to ask or work with our suppliers to replicate? Because we have found a model that's worked for us, but we also recognize that we're resourced differently uh, than a wide variety of suppliers that we have, right? We have mm-hmm. approximately 30,000 suppliers. Uh, they provide us with materials anywhere from a couple hundred dollars from a person all the way up to, you know, millions. And so with that type of, of span, you are really dealing with a wide variety of people who have differing experiences and familiarity and maturity related to sustainability. So it raises the question to say, what do we need to help them along this sustainability journey with? And can we use all of the experiences and the learnings to really create Actionable toolkits or roadmaps for those suppliers because we know for us to be successful, they need to be successful. So it changes the mindset of how we're thinking about our engagement with suppliers. So rather than it being kind of a walking into a meeting, being like, this is what you need to do, which I have been on the receiving end several times, not fun and not really what I would, I think yielding to outcomes that benefit everyone. We instead are saying, okay, how do we take this in a partnership mentality and really say, how do we help you through this? Because we know you may not have the level of, of familiarity with it that we have, but we are here to walk with you and we're not here to kind of beat you up about not doing these things because we think that there's there's more upside for us in partnership than there is through mandates.
0: Great. So, do, And do you think your suppliers are responding to your focus on sustainability? What kind of reactions do you get? What kind of commitments do you get from them?
1: it's really interesting to see the reactions because you've got some people who will talk about and share their kind of perspectives and they're sharing it from a place where they are really proud. They're really, um, they think they're very advanced and we take a look mm-hmm. at it. And we're like, Ooh, we got that. That's, that's not what we were, we were hoping for, but it, Once again, then it illuminates an opportunity to refine and be clear about what we're asking for. I think there's a general willingness to engage in the topic. I think there is concern. I think there is a little trepidation about the expansiveness and the broad, uh, the number of broad topics that you can get into. When you start branching into, you know, we want to make sure we don't have uh, a tunnel vision related carbon, but Mm -hmm. we also want to be careful that we're not opening up so many fronts that we overwhelm and drown people with biodiversity, circular economy, recycling, end of life, water. You, You can just go on and on. And I think this is the challenge. We find willingness and openness to having the conversations, but they're looking for specificity about what we're looking for them to do which makes sense and so we're trying to be very clear and targeted and uh, I would say appropriately, um, appropriately subject matter specific to each one of the suppliers so if we're talking with somebody who's providing us with plastics then Mm -hmm. we're not necessarily going to be having a conversation with them about let's say animal welfare right and the importance of animal welfare but i think that's part of it is narrowing the herd so that we don't overwhelm people who are not necessarily experts or have dedicated uh, workforce related to csr sustainability esg
0: Right. And how are you keeping them on track? You know, like putting these commitments into actions. How are you keeping? Because like you said, you have so many suppliers that you work with on a day to day basis
1: so one of the first steps for this is really making sure that we're segmenting. So we've really started with where we can have the most impact and so then uh, typically our procurement teams are involved and they've got these relationships with them where it's part of the QBR, it's part of the metrics that we're tracking. But I think one of the things that we're recognizing is there's a need for even better kind of systems and data architecture behind this so that there is better, better accessible data and that we're able to look at, C- the progress and the allocations, uh, the carbon specific footprint for those organizations. So, this is where we're starting to think about how do we move to more advanced kind of accounting uh, to be able to see this and understand how do we feed in the information. So, we're not living in a world of uh, no offense to Microsoft, but Excel spreadsheets, yeah. but we're really into something that is more executable, usable data that helps us be action oriented with what we're finding out. Because one of the things that I, I think it's just a core uh, core thing that I repeat to my team time and time and again is I will not be in the business of asking our suppliers for information that we are not going to use. So we better right. have a very clear plan of what we're going to do with it that we can share with them to help them understand how this could benefit them what are the other things that come to the table versus it just all being benefit for us? But instead, how do we create that win-win opportunity but turn it into really actionable data that helps us uh, shift, make changes, and advance?
0: Great. And what type of resources, you know, internally you have uh, put in place for a program like this?
1: So it starts first of understanding what are we trying to accomplish? And so this is a roadmap that we have put out that really gets more specific about the goals that we're working towards, right? We have this big arching, overarching goals of things like climate neutrality by 2040. Well, yeah. that is a big whopping statement, but what does that actually mean and how are you going to get there? So by then taking that and breaking that down to get more specific, we're increasing that granularity that helps us understand okay we need to get x percentage of the suppliers to move to renewable electricity by this point and then you know the team is, has mapped that out. So we have a really great relationship with uh, our procurement team to then mm-hmm. look at that and say, okay, what's the build on the, the supplier gains on renewable electricity? Because that's going to take care of, let's call it 25%. But then that still leaves a huge percentage that we've got to look at in terms of material choices, uh, other efficiency measures, right? So renewable electricity only takes of part, but can we help suppliers work on things like uh, energy efficiency that moves them to, you know, installing heat pumps and moving more things away from natural gas and electri- electrifying more things. So it's these types of steps that then we look to say, what are the work packages that need to happen? For other organizations, it may be the utilization or application of green chemistry, right? So then we're looking and saying, what tools do we have, we have a a great green chemistry analysis tool called Dozen that we created that takes all of these data points to help put together more, uh, I would say, actual data to then help somebody along to say, oh, I could change this. And because I changed that, that's the outcome or result from it. And so by helping people with actionable, usable tools, these are the things that we're starting to put in place from a system standpoint to Mm -hmm. understand what's the package or relevant things that need to go to these suppliers to help give them targeted things that move forward. So it's really about taking a look about the infrastructure that we've created in our programming and then understanding what's relevant and then putting those kind of uh, pathways together so that we can say, you know, here's the beginning point and we're going to go from here to here and then hopefully get even more, uh, I would say, detailed and action oriented. That's a that's a work in progress. We're still fairly early Mm. days, but we're building out. What are all of these kind of uh, check checkpoints that you hit on the journey so that we can say okay we've gone through that and because we've gone through this section we've been able to address things like how you deal with transportation or how you deal with energy management at your facility now we're going to move on to how and where you source your your product from and can you think of alternative sources for that raw material that have a lower co2 footprint which is much more involved right so you build this journey based on Thinking of things through complexity, what maturity is required, and you start with those easier things, right? If if I can get into purchasing renewable electricity or a VPPA or something else, that is a relatively easier, less involved step. And getting to things like raw material choices, which could take R&D efforts, it can take other kind of trial and error things that are longer haul. How do we start easing them into those things a little bit down the road, so that we hopefully build confidence, and with that confidence, we. Then inst- instill more momentum that then gets us to these tougher challenges.
0: That's great, but tell me something. You know, you talked about so much. You talked about water, electricity, circular economy, plastics. You know, so many things. How do you prioritize, and how do you use your resources internally and externally in that entire process or program?
1: Yeah, the prioritization is the hardest part, and there are very tough conversations that happen internally, because. You look at all of these topics and we kind of, we experience this in terms of what we do on the the philanthropic investment side, right? There are no, uh, there are typically very few bad good causes, right? Yeah. You come across so many remarkable things and stories where people's lives are fundamentally changed or supported in ways because they were able to get financial or philanthropic support from an organization that furthers their mission. It's very similar when you think about the supply chain or you think about all of these different elements within uh, within sustainability is like animal welfare is not a bad or wrong thing. It's not like we don't support it water and and water stewardship great thing it's important carbon super important a lot of people talk about it i think what we try to do is we take inputs from a variety of sources our customers are big voices of what we listen to Mm -hmm. as thinking about what's relevant to them because if we're successful at meeting our customers needs which is representative of such a broad population because you're talking about pharma companies, biotech companies, academic institutions, you're getting a really good representation of the things that matter to a lot of people around the world, right? So this isn't geographically focused. Now because of that, it gives us a stronger sense that this is a representative and we're not, uh, let's say, over indexing on one thing. I think the clear thing that we know is that's, that carbon is the here and now that every single person is focusing on and wants to talk about and trying to figure out how they, how they uh, reduce or eliminate that in particular. So that is definitely an anchor point. That is one of the central things that you can guarantee we're gonna be talking about and working to figure out. And then once we go under that, we start to look at the adjacencies and the opportunities that reinforce that work and pull through and what is material, right? We're all having conversations about materiality, double materiality, and I'm just waiting for triple, quadruple materiality, which I'm sure someone will figure out and mark it as an opportunity. But these become important topics because you look at a business like ours, we sell 300,000 different products of such a wide swath of, of products and materials. And you think about a topic like biodiversity and and you can get into some really interesting discussions about materiality when you are not selling a ton of all of these different materials. Is that technically material to you, right? And I think this is where these conversations get very interesting and you really have to test and push your logic and the ways that you are are uh, addressing and, and critically looking at these things to make sure that you are addressing you know, the markets and what the markets are looking for, but you've got clear reasoning why you've deprioritized something yeah. um, or said it can't be right now. And I think there's been some interesting, you know, things in the news recently about companies uh either downshifting or becoming more focused, right? And it's this mm-hmm. realization we cannot open all of these fronts across the entirety of 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 sustainability. So at the same we, time. At the same time. Cause that's that's everyone it's um everything all at once that's what you know people are kind of like because there's fires everywhere right? yeah, <laughs> that's this yeah. is the reality but if we are I would say focused specific and transparent about why we've chosen what we've chosen and why we have deprioritized things because it goes both ways you can't just deprioritize it and not talk about why you deprioritized it we've got to be clear to say okay, we see that that is a topic that is of importance. We cannot do that right now. So that's going to be a topic we're going to put in the parking lot. And as we get more resources, we will circle back around to figure out how we can address that. But the the pipeline of things that we're going across, we're going to focus on this, which then we expect to have complete by this time, which then opens up resources to then add in new topics and move things on. Another thing that's been really important for us to think about is, how are we upskilling our organization as a whole so that we increase the number of people who can take on some of these tasks yeah. so they don't have to necessarily be sustainability experts because there are certain uh, components which you can't expect the general you know, employee population to suddenly know all of the ins and outs of some of these things. But we found really good examples on things like transportation and mode shift. So how do we move things from air transport to sea transport, for instance? And there is a fantastic team in our organization that has taken this, that we've helped kind of connect the outside frame. Here's what you need to be thinking about, and here's kind of what you want to do. And we have really consistent check-ins with them, but we've seen them take this and run with it in a remarkable way that freed up and, and cleared resources for us to go do other things. And I think that's a, a thing we've gotta be thinking about as well as organizations is, how are we preparing to increase our effectiveness by upskilling uh, employee groups to be able to take ownership of these things and drive them forward? While creating those check-in mechanisms to ensure that it stays true and it is it's rigorous and defensible for the claims uh, and the the outcomes we're looking to deliver.
0: In fact, you know, I think you touched upon a point which was going in my mind when you were speaking was employees. You know, it, it takes it's it's a complete paradigm shift from 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 the times when people would say, "Look at the cheapest supplier," and get the job done to looking at okay sustainability goals who, who is an alignment so how do you ensure that the internal stakeholders are aligned with your sustainability programs and uh, you know the various touch points that's coming in how how do you get that alignment and what are some of the challenges that you feel you had to overcome in the beginning in this whole internal employee mind change
1: yeah i think the answer the the easy answer is i'm always wrong about everything that is that's the first one and so alignment is this elusive uh elusive thing of trying to find um and instead of i would say constantly trying to find alignment what we are trying to do instead is to prompt people to ask questions because the questions then transition into conversations and the conversations give us opportunities to understand what are the things that are holding us back from making different choices i think one thing as humans we do not like change it is not our friends people just are not uh, they are uncomfortable with it and that's what I'm in the business of, right? I am in the business of constantly disrupting and changing things, but it creates a, and it, uh, it it provides a unique opportunity then, though, to have conversations and talk about things like resiliency, right? We, as, uh, as a team for sustainability and social business innovation, have the conversation about the number of times we've got to hit the brick wall, slide yeah. down it. Get back up, dust ourselves off, and repeat. And it's going to happen a lot of times. And sometimes we'll find a way over the wall, around the wall, possibly through the wall. Uh, possibly something else gets created that bridges us around it. You know, whatever that is. But I think this now conversation is starting to transition to things like our product managers, yeah. um, to some of our purchasing people, who are like, "Well, I'm trying to have this conversation, but they're just not like listening to it." Or But that becomes an opportunity to have a discussion about the tactics and the way that we're framing it. I had one of these on uh, Friday of last week. Uh, It was a young person who has just joined uh, one of our uh, one of our operations organizations, and she was bringing this this exact topic up. She was like, "I try to do it, but they're just not like receptive to it." And I was like, "Yeah, welcome, welcome to to the fold, right?" But this is a great great thing to talk about strategy right? to talk yeah. about how are you framing it? Is it just because, oh, this is the thing we should do because that is never a compelling argument. But are we starting to look at what are the win-win opportunities for everyone involved? And that is, I think, the transformational moment because not only are you hopefully helping to achieve what we're setting out to do from sustainability, but you are increasing critical thinking skills. You're increasing the ability to negotiate, to navigate, to, to open up communication channels, to actually understand what is holding somebody back? What are they they afraid of? Um, Because fear drives so many of our gut uh, reactions. And I think this is a, a really differentiating component of what we're trying to think about as we work on upskilling is one, you know, there's some base things that we all just have to be, you know, on the same page with. We're going to be clear. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be accountable. That means that we have to be very cautious and aware of the language we use around uh, around sustainability because greenwashing is easy to do even when you don't mean to be doing it. And so we need to have a commitment that we're operating from a set of facts that give us that path forward. And then we work on those specialized, more specialized skills of thinking about, well, how do you influence people? Because I spend my time leading through influence. I don't lead through authority. I don't I've nobody has given me that mandate, but I do um, and I continually work on because it is, it is a never-ending process of increasing my ability to lead through influence and and get people to say, man, that is compelling and that is some amazing stuff and I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And that comes through extending what are the benefits and how do we look at this in a different light? And I think that's the, that's the piece from an employee standpoint that for me is more of the magic sauce in terms of increasing our effectiveness is getting people who can say, I can look at this at a broader picture and instead of just saying this is why we should do this i'm gonna i'm gonna share with you the benefits that i can see if we do this together and what right. you can get out of it and what the organization can get out of it and i think that's the powerful part
0: right i mean that's 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 some wonderful sauce recipes coming out of it to you know to get it going but if i take a step further and kind of take it or or mingle sustainability with innovation and strategy How do you think can supply chain sustainability be a catalyst for innovation and market generation?
1: Yeah. So for me, this is a fundamental part of connecting um, dots, right? So you think about traditional supply chain and and it being a tool to business competitiveness. We know that now 90% of our footprint sits within our supply chain. Mm -hmm. and our scope three. Then if you go a a level deeper to that, 69% of that 90% is actually sitting in purchase goods and services. So Mm -hmm. categories 3.1 and 3.1. OK, so this is the biggest bulk of what we're talking about. This is the most relevant to our customers. So if you think about the opportunity, if we uh, we use the term sustainability multipliers, because we recognize our ability to do what we do remarkably well, will help our customers achieve their goals. And so if we differentiate on the fact that not only are you to get remarkable products with extremely high quality but you're going to get an industry-leading co2 footprint related Mm. to that and commitments to reduction we want you to choose us more frequently because we can deliver on that And that's where excellence in the supply chain area leads us to that competitive differentiation and supply chain sustainability as really this marker of our ability to succeed outside of the typical kind of like in our walls, sustainability approach with energy efficiency at the heart of what you do, which is great. It needs to happen too, but let's look and see where the huge iceberg is at and figure out how do we start uh, melting that, but not creating sea rise, Uh, but really begin to address this because that is that's going to be the make or break and our ability to do that effectively is I think where we see this innovation opportunity to then work with our suppliers you know to hopefully create bigger market uh, markets for them and opportunities because they offer they offer differentiated things you know we're not the only ones asking for this we may be uh more uh, ahead of the curve in terms yeah. of our timing of getting there but it's coming right and so if we can help people be prepared for it uh you know I I I certainly want to take advantage of competitive opportunities that we can get a hold of, but it's just at the end of the day, it's better for everyone.
0: Right, right. And what do you think will be your advice for let's say other companies, you know, your peers who want to get onto the sustainability journey or or most probably move forward? I'm sure all of the peers are on this journey, but what do you think would be your advice if you had to give as a peer? Yeah.
1: So th- my biggest set of advice is really around data. And having mm-hmm. really strong data at uh, at your fingertips to be able to use to then craft and and execute those next steps, because ultimately, the number of times I have conversations with people, and they want to do something, it is not guided by data. It's guided by a gut feeling of yeah. you know typically kind of making you feel better, right? You look at something like packaging. You know, people are like, oh, gotta gotta do something packaging. That's a significant, serious. Yes, packaging is yet another issue that we have to deal with in sustainability. But when you look at the numbers that you look at our scope, three numbers for us, that's less than 10% of the CO2 footprint. And so. Mm we can do something about that but that may mean that we have to do less of something somewhere else that could be more effective but unless you have the data to help provide clarity on what needs to happen and the steps forward and why back to our prioritization conversation why you're not doing something with that right now then you're missing the opportunity to actually make the big impacts and i think that's the thing that we've got to focus on is we're at a point where we've got to be making big reductions and, and reducing the co2 footprint significantly quickly and there are going to be some intractable difficult uh challenging areas that we may not have the technology or needs for right now but that is going to come like i'm, I'm fully uh fully Uh, trusting that those technologies are going to develop to where when that moment comes, we're going to be ready to get there. But let's use data, uh, let's get accurate data to do the accounting so that we can address the here and now in a more effective fashion. Um, And so I think data, data, data and it's my least favorite thing, I'll be honest, but it is super important to be able to be effective at what we do.
0: Yeah, I think everything comes down to data-based decision-making because that's how your helps in your prioritization. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, from here, you know, I think the industry has come already this far from here. What do you think? What next? You know, what do you think are some of the emerging trends and needs getting into 2024? I'm sure, you know, at Milipur also you're planning some strategies for 2024. What do you think is 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 the next planning phase of this journey?
1: Yeah, I think supply chains and more uh, robust efforts within supply chains are where people are going to start uh, uh, start really expanding their efforts, right? And and we need to because if you look at you know you've got your big you know the big like Fortune five hundred companies, your DAX forty companies, those companies very sophisticated and most making significant progress, but you look at where the bulk of business sits and you look at things like in the United States, right? A majority of our businesses are small and medium enterprises, right? Yeah. And they do not have the level of maturity or the understanding of this topic. And so getting people ready to go on that component, I think this is what you're gonna see a lot of 2024, 2025 and beyond uh, spent is really getting um, these that middle layer of of the economy, ready to go and understanding where those opportunities are, um, and increasing their actions. Right, you you look at something. I, I think you know, a great example for me was even a company like us. Right, so mm-hmm. we we sell approximately ten point five billion euros worth of products a year. We did not in the US have a big enough uh, electricity demand to go out to the market and buy or be on a VPPA alone. So a virtual power purchase agreement, we couldn't go in and access the market. 10.5 billion euros so that means that when you're thinking about what this looks like for small companies how do they get access to things and that's where these there's new approaches that we're helping champion and be guinea pigs uh, to to see how those models work but i think this is really a big focus is accessibility for small and medium enterprises
0: Great. I think this was very, very enlightening, enlightening, Jeffrey, and I know this is a topic in every boardroom. It's just sometimes people don't know how to navigate and hope this helps. So thank you, everyone, for listening. in. I was in conversation with Jeffrey Whitford, Vice President, Sustainability and Social Business Innovation at Milipur Sigma. Thank you, Jeffrey, once again, for such an enlightening discussion.
1: I appreciate it, Yamini. Thank you for having me. It was great to join you.
0: Thank you and stay tuned for such interesting episodes on Disruption Dialogue. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know how you can navigate and thrive in this disruptive era, subscribe to Disruption Dialogues on your go-to podcast channels and stay tuned for more interesting episodes.